you, Lord. You are here. Lord, there's not one person that you have not touched here. Lord, we bless you for your glory. Your glory, Lord, your manifest presence, Lord. I thank you for your power. God, I thank you for your increase, your kingdom increase over every life. Oh, Lord. Lord, we don't have the words. We don't have the words, Lord. Lord, we magnify you here. King Jesus. You are our King. You are our King. Lord, we bless you. Lord, thank you for... Lord, this morning, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've begun. Lord, I thank you for everything, Lord, that you are finishing, Lord, every mountain and every hill that you are bringing low. Lord, I thank you, Lord, the ruins and the desolate places, Lord, you are exalting and you are raising up. Lord, I thank you for your life. I thank you for the power of the blood. Lord, I thank you for the power of redemption. I thank you, Lord, that your life is in the blood. Lord, we thank you for the precious blood of yours, Lord Jesus. Lord, speak to us through your word today. God, minister in a new level, in a deeper level into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that's, this is another welcome, really, because, you know, downstairs there was, there was something profound that happened in the prayer room this morning. It was, it was so wonderful. God's, God was there and it was just completely unified and it was prophetic and God was right there in the midst. He could just, it was so tangible. Again today, right now, and um, I walked around earlier and I've seen a lot of um, new faces and I'm just going to assume that you've never been into the church, a church before, I'll just assume that, um, and what you're encountering while we've been praising, worshipping, what is that, what, what is that I sense, that is God, that is the presence of God and uh, God is real. <laughs> He's manifesting His glory. He's, he's making Himself known, in other words. When you've come in here, that's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing, that's what it is, if you're wondering. Uh, if you want to know more, if you, if you have, don't know anything about the Bible, you don't know, you've never even heard the name of Jesus, just come and see me later on in the service. Any questions you have, any queries, I'd like to speak to you. I'm going to bring the Word now, and um, I want us to turn to uh, Luke chapter 14. Father, I just ask for your anointing right now, Lord. I, that's all I ask is that you, by your Spirit, would anoint me and lead me, God, and you would minister in the Spirit through me to each heart in Jesus' name. Luke 14, and I'm reading from uh, chap, uh, verse 25. Now, great multitudes went with him, referring to Jesus. And he turned and said to them, 
If anyone comes to me and does, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise... Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Amen. This is, a, this is almost like a passage that ought to be read uh, before someone considers coming to the Lord. Because, you know, Jesus is speaking to multitudes here. You know, if you have previous pages, it's all red letter. So Jesus is speaking to multitudes. And in the beginning there of verse 25 that I read out, he says, Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, and so forth. So there's a great following of Jesus. And, you know, everything that they saw, everything they witnessed, everything they heard, they were, in a sense, they were interested in, in following. They weren't yet disciples. That's why Jesus here starts beginning to show them and, and teach them what a real disciple is. And uh, I think it's quite valid. And, and I believe that's what this scripture teaches, that before we come to Christ, there's actually a consideration to make whether coming to Christ you are willing to completely surrender and lay down and yield completely your life before you come to Him. I, I think that's completely valid and, and that's something that uh, should be done. And uh, we, I knew a gentleman not long ago that came to Christ. He had a, he had a great conversion uh, from what I hear from his testimony, he was filled with the Spirit. This all happened within a few months. Then he sort of left the church, and he, uh, for no real, no real reason. And then I saw him again at Terrigal, actually. And I said, "Oh, you know, how are you going?" And uh, he, he said, um, "It's not for me." And I said, "What's well, not for you, basically?" And he said, "You know, all, all this Jesus being a Christian, it's not for him." So there was a, a cost he wasn't willing to partake of and which was really sad because it was a genuine conversion I believe um, and to this day I, I don't know where he's walking but this this scripture that Jesus this passage Jesus is turning speaking from he begins and I just want to make a note there it says in verse 26 if anyone does not come to me and does not hate his father and mother wife children brothers and sisters yes and his own life also he cannot be my disciple now that is a um a comparative statement so that in other words jesus is saying in contrast to the love that you have for parents the love that you have for me has got to be much greater so he's comparing he's not speaking about literal hate because that would contradict where he's called us not to hate so I just want to make that clear before I go any further. Now, he, um, he speaks here of a parable. This is a parable. If you're new to the Scriptures, you're new to the Bible, a parable is just an earthly story that Jesus wants to tell, but it's got a heavenly meaning. So it's going to help us to understand something that Jesus is trying to comprehend for us and something he's trying to teach. And he speaks here about 
building a tower. He speaks about building a tower. He's talking about counting the cost of doing so before you build the tower. And he goes on and he speaks about going to war and to consider that, to consider what you're up against. Because, you know, we have, as a Christian, we have a spiritual battle. It is one of warfare. And he's, he's asking the question, you've got to count the cost and you've got to consider before you become a disciple. Now, I believe the, the passage I read out, it, it could all be summed up in basically one thing, and, and that is the cost of commitment. And commitment today is something that we may not seldom ever really think about or consider um, how committed we are as a Christian because, you know, we can be a Christian, but the difference between a, a Christian and a disciple is the commitment, is the level of commitment. And so Jesus gives us here a parable of, of what's what, the building the town, the going to war. And that, that cost of commitment, I've heard it said before that the currency of heaven is hunger. And I, I believe here that what Jesus is teaching us the, is that the cost of commitment for the Christian life is death. Because everything in the scriptures, a lot of the things rather, are paradoxical. paradoxical. They're... They're a paradox. They're like things that are upside down to our thinking or the way the world thinks. Like if we want to be exalted in life, if we want increase, the Bible says that you have to decrease and you have to humble yourself first. If you want something, Jesus says you've, you've got, to, got to give first before it be given back to you. In here, and you'll see as I go on, that that death, the cost of commitment is, is death and what it does is it produces life. See, that, again, that's a paradox, that actually death produces life. But God's kingdom is not one like we know. God's kingdom is completely different to what we have in mind at some times. Now, he also talks about this because he's, he's speaking about, like I said, the cost of commitment, the building the tower, the going to the war. But he also talks about bearing the cross and forsaking all he has. So again, it's all about that cost of our commitment, which is death. And all in all, <laughs> commitment is really a, a basis for our life. It's uh, committing your whole life to the will of God. That is what commitment means. It's your, it's your whole life. It's in the way we serve in the church. It's our finances, serving God with our finances, tithes and offerings. It's in our marriage. It's laying down our life for our partner. It's time, the sacrifice of time, again, for our family, but for our brothers and sisters, for those out in the community. There's a commitment of those things that need to take place. And we can sometimes just hold on to that for, for comfort, for other reasons. Our priorities as well. See, our priorities have got to be in line with the will of God. And we've got to commit our priorities and make them God's priorities. Discipling people, the body of Christ. See, we're all a member, I don't like to use the word member, but I'll use it for the illustration. We, we are part of this church. <laughs> we are part, but you and I, as a body, we're all joined. We're all single members of the one body. We actually to be committed. Our life is to be laid down for the person next to you. It's a life of commitment. And when you're not here, 
then the church suffers. There's a, there's a member that is not here, that should be here. And that is a commitment for you and I as we come to Christ, that we actually commit ourselves wholeheartedly to everything that God's purposed in His Word, in the will of God. And that's committing your whole life to it. And Matthew 10, it, it speaks something very similar to this. Again, it's like a paradox. He's, he says in chapter um, 10 of Matthew, in verse 37 to 39, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And then here's the paradox. He says, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And uh, if you're someone today who, who doesn't know anything, never heard anything of the Scriptures, Jesus says here that to uh, preserve our life, to find it, we'll have to lose it for Jesus' sake. Because if we do, we will then found life. Because again, it's, it's a paradox. He says, he who finds his life or tries to preserve it will lose it. So if we're going to hold on to our life, if we're going to self-preserve our time, our effort, our whole life from the things of God, all the things of His kingdom, He says we're actually going to lose it. But when we lose His life, in other words, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we actually deny ourselves, when we are actually in that place of death and handing over our life to the things of the kingdom of God, Jesus says you will find it. Again, it's, that's like the paradox. So when you choose continually what the flesh, your flesh wants, you reap corruption. Galatians 6, 8 says that. Every time we actually indulge and we want to actually walk in the flesh, we don't want to sow into the kingdom of God. Galatians 6, 8 says we actually reap corruption. We reap corruption in our thinking. We reap corruption in our body, sickness. We reap corruption in our relationships because that's what we're sowing into. But Jesus is when we sow into the Spirit, when we sow into the things of life, life and kingdom and, and righteousness, that produces eternal life. Again, that, it's like a paradox. See, when you choose God's will, in His Word, what is revealed, when you choose God's will, you actually die to yourself. And sometimes that's really hard because we are called to this life and it's not an easy life. But, you know, there is a tendency where we can be faced with something that we might be challenged with from the Word um, preached or through our personal devotion or through a teaching online. And we want to maybe preserve. We don't want to go through that, that pressure. We don't want to experience any pain. If, it, if, it, if it's going to cost me my time, if it's going to cost me my effort, if it's going to cost me anything that's going to hurt me, I'm not willing to do it. But see, Jesus... His ways are not our ways. The Bible says His ways is not our ways. So if we are going our own way, we're not going His way. It's as simple as that. And you see this in a man, you know King David in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here is a man, King David, who experienced this decline, if you like, this, uh, the corruption of the flesh. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says... 
I'll read it out. It says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messages and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent... So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. So this, this was a time when King David, his calling was to be a king, which he was. He was anointed to be king. He was to be leading his troops out into battle and conquering the land, which he had been doing. He had been doing this for a period of time. But it says there that the first verse I read out, he, he went, when the kings were out at battle, that he remained at Jerusalem. So when he was to be with everyone else out in the front lines, in battle, like he was supposed to be, he stayed at home. And whenever we're in a place of disobedience, when we're not walking in the will of God, we just go lower and lower. Because what happened to this man is, this woman was pregnant, she conceived... The husband was away at war. Long story short, Uriah, that husband, who was away at war, David had him basically assassinated. He, he laid a snare for him and he was killed. And so, you know, when we're, whenever we're in that place and when we're not walking in the will of God, when we're walking in disobedience, see, every decision we make leads downwards. You see this in Jonah's life. So Jonah... He had a destiny, but he went away from that destiny. And in Jonah, verse 3, it says, Jonah arose. See, every step took Jonah lower. He said, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Then in verse 5 he said, But Jonah had gone down again into the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down. So whenever we're in that place, like David, like Jonah, when we're not walking in the will of God, the revealed will of God, whenever he's spoken to us and we're walking in disobedience, it reaps corruption, but it also brings us lower. Every step that Jonah took was one downward. See, David had lost his commitment. He had lost his commitment to what he was to do. When the kings were to go out to war, he stayed in Jerusalem, it said. He got his priorities wrong. And part of being a committed Christian and being a disciple of Christ is actually prioritizing his kingdom, his work, over every other work and every other priority we have. It takes preeminence, the kingdom of God. And I want to ask you today, where can you give more? Where can you lay down your life in a greater measure? Because Christ has laid down his life for us and he expects us to do the same in return. See, Jesus, he laid down his life at the point of death. He sowed, he sowed completely his life 
for humanity to the point of death, the death on the cross. Then he rose again victoriously, but he sowed and sowed and sowed his life for humanity, for you and I, that we may live, that we may have life. And so he expects the same for us. And I think some of the reasons, the reasons that can stop us fully, fully committing to God is, is convenience and, and comfort. And I believe they're two of the, the biggest idols in the church today globally is, is convenience and comfort. If, it, if it's going to cost me my time, if it's going to cost me and force me to bring out of my comfort zone or do something I don't really want to do, then I'm not going to do it. Uh, I think there's something to be said for that. But see, David was in that place of convenience and comfort. He was at ease. But I want to tell you something, Judge, that the safest place to be in the kingdom, the safest place to be, the safest place that David should have been is in the front line of battle. It seems contrary. Hey, I'm out there. It's hard. I want to be at home. My family's at home. It's difficult out on the front line. It's battle. It's dangerous. There's an enemy. But you see, he got stuck. He come undone in that place when he was at ease at Jerusalem where, you know, he's in a place where I've, I've, I've battled, I've battled, I've battled. This is getting a little bit difficult. I want a, just a little bit of a rest. I'm just going to take it easy. It will be good. And praise God, he does desire that we do have rest in its timing, in its right timing. But you see, he took it in the wrong time. And see, he fell. He fell and it got, went from bad to worse. And that is the safest place for us to be, in the front line, doing God's will. See, a, a life... Your life laid down completely. A life laid down produces life. And you see this in Paul's life. In Paul's life in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, and uh, chapter 4 talks about the light that we as Christians have, the light of the gospel. It's like, a, it's a treasure in us. And he says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, but we have this treasure, the, the light of the gospel, in earthen vessels. In other words, just you know, we're made of dust. He says, and this is the reason, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And we have the same testimony. We, we have that gospel in us, that light in earthen vessels. And see, Paul's explaining here that, you know, his life is under constant threat, threat of real death, real danger. Not only that, it's, it's under constant suffering. Everything there that he's speaking about, he's talking about being perplexed and he's talking about being in despair. He's talking about being persecuted, struck down. So all these things. But he says there that, you know, if you read that, there's no, there's no self-preservation. See, there was a, a suffering that he encountered through living for Christ. And he said in verse 11 that the life of Jesus, 
may the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So when we when we have laid down our lives, the more we do so, when we actually have that commitment, and the cost of commitment, like I said, is death. When we have that, Paul's saying that there's a life, the life of Christ that is manifested in your mortal flesh. The life of Christ, what is the life of Christ? It's divine life, it's divine health, it's divine healing. That is the life that we have and the, the life that Christ wants to produce in us. But it takes death. Like I said, it takes death to produce life. Then he says in verse 12, at the very end of what I just read out, after all he had just expanded on the suffering and everything he's suffered with, everything that he's been exposed to, he said, so then death is working in us, but life in you. So if you want to be a Christian that offers life to someone else, you've got to accept death in yourself. That's what Paul's saying. Because again, it, life is only produced through death. When Jesus died, he was resurrected gloriously through death. Everything he suffered, there was a, there was a purpose for it. And there's a purpose for everything that we go through. And it's not nice and it's not pretty. But that's what Jesus went through. That's what some, some of the things we're going to go through. It's going to be different for all of us. We're all going to suffer in different and various areas. But there's a purpose in all of it. And it's to produce life. And I want you to just consider right now, as I'm, as I'm speaking today, have you, have you fully completely, and you'll only know this yourself, but I want to ask, have you completely committed wholeheartedly your life? Have you completely given every area where, you know, I spoke to a uh, woman a couple of days ago, a beautiful Christian woman. I said, I've only known her not very long. She lives in Sydney. I said, where do you go to church? She said, Jamboree. Do you know how far Jamboree is from Sydney? It's, it's almost two hours. I looked it up. It's about an hour, 55 minutes. Why? There's heaps of churches in Sydney, is it not? Why? Because it's not about her. It's about what she can bring to others. She's gonna, is that not a cost to drive two hours to church? See, wherever I see life coming and flowing through person, you see it through the life of Jesus. You see it in certain people, the life of Christ flowing through them, it all comes through suffering, or it all comes through death. The, the greater the death, the greater the life. And so I want to I challenge you today, and I want to ask you, is there areas of your life that you have not fully committed? Because it's, it's this level, that completely death to self, that complete commitment to Christ, it's that level of commitment that overcomes Satan. Because in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he says, this is John the Apostle, he said, Then I heard a loud, loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And he said, and they overcome him. So this is how you overcome. He says, and they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. See, there's three things there that he mentions. And he talks about the blood. That's something, Je we can't do that. That's something Jesus has done for us. The blood, that speaks about redemption. It speaks about his power. It speaks about his life. That's a tool. 
And then he speaks about the testimony, the, the, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. When we testify, again, for what Jesus has done, testifying to what his blood does for us, when we testify to what his blood through the scriptures have done, those things overcome. They're tools. But there's a third thing, and this is something Jesus cannot do for us. We can only do it for ourselves. He said, not loving our lives until the death. See, this measure of commitment can only overcome Satan when we actually don't live for ourselves, when our lives don't mean too much in regard to whether we die or whether we survive. Because we have a spiritual battle. Satan wants to pull you off and he wants to say, just take the easy road like he did for David. Just stay home. Have a rest. It's all good. It's covered. Satan wants to come in and he wants to divide and he wants to keep you out of God's kingdom. He wants to keep you out of your calling. He wants to keep you out of what God wants you to do. And if you do not cling to your own earthly lives, there is no, there is no threat that Satan can bring. There's no threat whatsoever he can bring to your life because the apostle here says, by your testimony, by the blood, and by not loving your lives to the death, death will he overcome you. See, death... Death to self is a powerful weapon against the enemy. We have Ephesians 6, we have the armor. We have everything that Christ has done for us. But you see, one of the most powerful weapons is our own lives and not loving it to the death. Because that is the commitment. That is the commitment that overcomes. I don't, that is the, uh, the Christian, the disciple that Satan is scared of. The one who doesn't care if he lives or dies. He's in, he isn't faced if he has to suffer and go through the suffering, go through the trials, go through the tests. So I'm going to close out. I'm going to call the worship team up. And just as we praise, just consider. Maybe you want to offer something to God as we praise. Maybe you want to lay something down before Him. Maybe something's pulled you off track. Maybe you've lost your commitment in a certain area that you were once walking in. Is there, a, is there something you need to do in your life? Is there something, is your whole life need recommitting? That you're fully, that it's fully surrendered and fully laid down. Father, I want to thank you for every one of your children here, Lord. And I thank you, Father God, that you have got a great purpose for us. And Lord, some of us, Lord, many of us, Lord, you've revealed that to and many are walking in that, Lord. And I thank you for them. And I'm asking, Lord, that... God, you would do something in us, Lord, where we have, Lord, we've turned from your ways, where we've turned from your will for the sake of maybe convenience or comfort or ease. Father God, I'm asking right now for your holy fire to consume everything, Lord, that is distracted. Lord, where the enemy has come in to distract us, where the enemy has come to divide and pull us off, where there's been a plot. Father God, I'm asking right now, you would take every plot of the enemy, you would make it nothing, Lord. You completely destroy every plot from the enemy. And I'm asking, Lord, by your grace, Lord, that you, God, you would put in us, Lord, a fresh commitment, Lord, that hunger for a commitment, Lord, that, that hunger for righteousness. Father God, I'm asking right now, by your grace, Lord, we would lay, Lord, every area that has not been laid down before, before you. By your grace, I'm asking right now for your help in each of our lives. Father, I'm asking you to do something new in us. Lord, and I commit every person here 
to you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.